Good evening. Goodbye forever by Natchang Rumshe. Chapter 17, part two, or is it part three actually? Part three, chapter 17, part three, second attempt. So many apologies for uh, disappearing last night. We think that it will be fine this evening. I thought that if I simply lay still for long enough, the words, ideas or information would simply come back to me from wherever they were before they slipped my mind. I had no sense in that moment that I'd never slept outside at night. There was something in my consciousness that seemed at odds with another sense of memory as if the memories of more than one person were attempting to cohabit in the same consciousness. I was having memories that were not my own, but which one was I? Or were there more than two streams of memory? Was it a menage à trois of memories? Was I somehow telepathically sharing memories with Rose and Valerie? Was that possible? Could people have adjacent dreams? I fell asleep. I woke up needing a drink. The room was again the room in Exeter in which I'd gone to sleep. Rose and Valerie sound asleep, just gone 1am on the luminous dial of Rose's alarm clock. For some moments I wondered if my experience of waking and sleeping had both been dreams. That was possible. Maybe I was just overtired from travelling. Too many late nights, two blues performances and other exhilarating diversions. Dwelling on these imponderables, I fell asleep. Deja vu. I woke after 20 minutes, but I was in some environment that was nothing like the room in which I had fallen asleep. It was the tent again. Again? Yes, I had been there before, and it seemed as if it had not been a dream. Was this another dream? No, the bed coverings seemed thick and heavy. These were not the bed covers under which I'd gone to sleep. The air felt colder than it should have been. Weird. I turned onto my left side and went back to sleep being too tired to investigate the anomalies of the situation yet again. There was no sense in thinking about it. It was all too bizarre. Thinking did not help with anything that was happening. I was tempted to get up and move to another room where I could turn on the light and puzzle the matter in what might be more like a real-life environment. A mere velleity. I fell asleep. Prescovu. I woke up again, just gone 2.30am. I went back to sleep. Then I seemed to know that I was asleep, a lucid dream. My body was lying down, but I seemed to be able to see straight ahead as if I was sitting up. I sensed the wind. There was some rocky outcrop vaguely illuminated by a gibbous moon. 
there was something strange happening that I needed to comprehend. It seemed that I was on the verge of knowing who I was and where I was. I was on the verge of knowing because it was obvious. I was on the verge of knowing because nothing was obvious. I remained in that state of prescovu where obvious and non-obvious seemed to have the same taste. I woke up. The room was a tent again, but made of tiger hides. I fell asleep. I woke up, and this time I forced myself to sit up in bed. I was actually awake, as far as I could ascertain, and sitting in a normal room rather than a tent. I wondered whether Rose and Valerie had spiked my drink with LSD. Entirely unlikely, but it felt as if I was going through the paranoia that had been described to me on various occasions. However, it wasn't the paranoia that I was experiencing, merely a mild bafflement that occasionally teetered on the brink of amusement. Waking and sleeping kept alternating, but I was never quite certain which was which. If I'd not found the condition restful, I would have been concerned that such a night would have left me exhausted the next morning. On that thought, I fell asleep. Having fallen asleep, however, I entered a lucid dream again. I dreamed that I'd been asleep dreaming about a room in Exeter that kept turning into a tent and that I had woken up in the lucid dream. Then I was back in the strange situation in which I had found myself before falling asleep, but there was a night sky above me. It felt as if I was in some sort of hall of mirrors in which dream and reality kept mirroring each other except that the reality was like a lucid dream and the lucid dream alternated with dreams in which the configuration of the Exeter bedroom was what I thought to be reality. Quotidian Nocturnal Reality Suddenly, absolutely sure I was awake, I looked around the room and identified objects. There were my Levi 501 Serge Denim trousers, beneath my Levi shirt neatly draped over a chair. My boots stood beneath the chair. Everything accorded to quotidian reality. Jamais vous. I looked alternately at Rose and Valerie, but they were not Rose and Valerie. They both had dark hair, almost black, that was clear in the full moonlight. I couldn't see their faces because they both had their backs to me, but I knew they were not the two young English ladies with whom I had retired for the night. I decided it was best to go to sleep. Waking them to ask who they were did not seem to be a good idea, but why was I not curious? I did not ask myself that at the time. That only became a question the next morning when I remembered. 
I didn't ask them who they were because I knew who they were. But on waking, I no longer knew. After seeing the two dark-haired ladies, I'd fallen immediately into a dream about sky. A vast sky that kept expanding and getting brighter until it turned into the surface of a lake. Then I lost the lucidity. I woke up some time later. It was still dark. I opened my eyes to investigate the situation and Valerie's blonde hair was clearly visible. Which of the previous episodes had been a dream? Had I actually been awake when I saw those two dark-haired ladies? Or had it been a lucid dream? I could not tell what was waking experience and what had been lucid dreams. But there had also been dreams which were not lucid. And I tried to recall what they were and what had occurred in them. Someone had been speaking. It was one of the dark-haired ladies, but I could not recall what she had said. It was a question. I had answered, or someone had answered. Daylight had been streaming into the tent in which I had been sleeping. Maybe the dream had been ignited by the crescent moon having traversed the sky. At one point in the night, the moon had started shining into the bedroom. However, when I'd woken up sensing I was in a tent, it had been dark with no trace of the moon. Then it occurred to me that I'd seen the moon in different phases on the same night. So if I checked on the moon phase the next day, perhaps I could tally it with what had happened. The aspects of the night's visions which equated with the actual moon phase in Common or Garden Quotidian Exeter would have been what I saw when I was awake, and all the other visions would have been dreams. On that dizzying height of futile conjecture, I fell asleep. I awoke quite early from a dream that had been vivid, but not a lucid dream. There was no storyline to the final dream of the night. I'd simply been sitting in an alpine meadow watching two young girls riding extremely large dogs. They cantered the dogs around the various tents which sat regally placed below a range of mountains. There were sounds I recalled from the dream, some kind of music, but the nature of the music was no longer clear when I awoke. All I remembered was that the sounds were enjoyable, although enjoyable is rather an approximate word. The dream had set itself in Tibet. I was used to that. It had happened many times before. When I was very young, and then later in my teenage years, consequent to beginning to meditate. The white lady had enabled me to walk into Tibet from my bedroom as a child, and from time to time over the years, the same thing had happened. I could never tell when it would happen. After each time it happened, I tried to look for signs of what it was that triggered those dreams, 
or daydreams, or daydreams in the night, or whatever they were. I could find no answer to that question. Quotidian Diurnal Reality I finally arose feeling rested and surprisingly perky. I fixed breakfast for Rose and Valerie, eggs Florentine with toast. Rose and Valerie greeted me but both launched into telling me that I'd been talking in my sleep. What was I saying? I laughed. No idea, they replied. You weren't speaking English. Maybe it was German. No, it didn't sound German. It sounded more as if you were ordering something at a Chinese restaurant. Maybe I was hungry, I dissimulated, laughing. I was not too keen on talking about the previous night's dreams. I certainly am pretty hungry now, which is why I've fixed us all a feast of a breakfast. Well, I can't say you didn't work hard for it last night, Rose cackled. So what were you dreaming about? Valerie laughed. People always dream when they talk in their sleep. I told them about the dream over breakfast, but I placed the scene in Switzerland to avoid the complications that could arise when anything verged on the spiritual. And I knew that Rose and Valerie weren't wildly keen on anything spiritual. I'd picked that up from the way they, met, they had made fun of Emily. Were they wearing lederhosen? Rose laughed. You know, like Heidi or whatever. No, I pondered. Now that you mention it, they weren't wearing anything. Well, that doesn't surprise me, laughed Valerie, who, noticing the question on my face, continued, Dreams usually connect with what's happening in your life, so two naked girls kind of makes sense. Yes, we are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep, I replied, in order to steer the subject away from my dreams.